Bonita, Thug Crowd Radio. Please listen to this important disclaimer in its entirety. All participants of this Thug Crowd Radio episode are characters. None of the stories sold during these episodes are based on facts, truth, or reality. All works of fiction displayed during this episode that resemble real-life situations are coincidental and are not meant to serve as guides or tutorials to commit any crimes in any country. Please consult an attorney for local laws and regulations. And as always, trust your inner criminal. You guys dead over here or what? Huh? Huh? <laughs> I thought my Discord wasn't working, man. This is oh. like really quiet for me. Like, what the fuck? Oh, yeah. That's uh, just the audio. How's it going? Hey, I'm Hey, everybody. Welcome to the crowd. Episode 8. Hi. Hello, everybody. Hello. Hello. What up? Hey. So, oh, oh yeah, I forgot. Not everybody here is um, able to look at it in alphabetical order <laughs> again. Um, so I guess we can introduce ourselves, but just try it out. Hello. Try and do it in alphabetical order, I guess. Yeah. Hold on. Well, yeah. Uh, hi, uh, I'm you. I'm the host here. Anybody else wants to introduce themselves? Just, I guess, go ahead. Zodiac. Shell. It's nothing. Man, Zodiac starts with a Z. <laughs> That's the first letter of the alphabet. It's definitely the first letter. Hi, I'm Cal. Yo, this is Elon's Musk for a cheap price of $99.95. You can also smell like space sweat. Mmm, space sweat. Hey, hey, hey. All right. So, hey, we uh, got a lot to cover tonight. We got a bunch of people coming in here and there um, who are coming to talk to us about video games. But first, let's talk about the news real quick so we can have more time to talk about video games, I guess. Um, so, has everybody got the topic list? I'll throw that in the channel real quick here, too. Um, oh, shit. Nice. Boom. All right. So, yeah. Um, first one here, actually, I wish Cedric would join us on here because um, he shared this, but this is um, basically somebody today found uh, a backdoor in the SSH decorator package in uh, Python. Um, and it's basically just, it's actually pretty silly. The There's a screenshot of it, which I'll post in the um, Twitch chat here. That What is that used for? I'm not exactly sure, but this is a pretty obvious backdoor in here. It just says define log and then data. And then it just posts to this ssh-decorate.cf. I don't know what it is. It supposedly looks legit, but there's a big discussion here in this uh, Reddit thread, which I'll also post. Um, it's actually like, kind of interesting because there's also a, what was it an NPM package that was recently backdoored as well, I believe. Um, I yeah, it's like a cookie package. Oh man, that's right. But I yeah, guess, so the what were you gonna say? Sorry. Oh, the the people were hunting for the cookie package already. So I mean, I can only imagine uh, 
what people are looking for. Like, so with something like the SSH decorator, right? So is there any, like, what I'd like to know is, is, is any uh, distribution currently shipping with this as a default package? Like, is it where, like, what reach did it really have? Um, when I had a quick Google, like, I found a GitHub that had been taken down, so that was gone. Um, but they obviously tried, somebody tried to either make it look legit or tried to be legit, and then this came. Yeah, I know it's a Python package. I don't think it's, like, it's obviously not standard library or anything. I don't think it's that used, but it kind of sucks that they don't actually curate and, like, look at the, the PyPy. They don't look at what gets posted. Right, but, I mean, with, uh, say, Red Hat, for example, any RPM is not allowed to pull, like, the second it pulls from, like, PyPy or any external source, that's an instant fail on the security checks. So you can only pull, like, uh, from the Red Hat perspective, like, with the distribution, like all packages come from the RPMs, so uh, including Python packages. So if any internal thing requires a Python package, you'll find there's an RPM for it. Which is like, you know, I'm just wondering, like, where else, like, if, if that's the case with this in any distro. I know Python doesn't um, have that. I can't say for others. I've never even heard of SSH decorator though. Like, it it sounds ridiculous just on the surface. You just bring up a good point though. Like, why don't why don't languages have some sort of curation process where they sort of standardize, like, you know, these are the safe packages kind of thing? I guess maybe the standard library, but still very limited. Yeah, I mean, it, I think it's, it's, it's the distros you use, I mean, it's like all, you know, supposed to be open source and, and being contributed to. I don't actually know who, if there's any, um, like, distinction of whether or not, like, this developer specifically did this, like, maybe got, like, some kickback or something for doing it, or if they had somebody else, you know, just did a malicious pull request or something, but I, I really don't know. It's interesting. There's been a lot of stuff happening with uh, NPM, though, right? Like, yeah. it's just nonstop with NPM. And you'd, again, assume that there would be, like, a bare minimum of shit. That is a red flag that would at least pause it from getting uploaded and merged, but apparently not. So one of the things, like, developer security can be fucking horrible, specifically with NPM, but one of the things with NPM in particular is that it's all about GitHub stars. Like, whoever fucking stars the most. So if you, I, I've mentioned this in, like, uh, other places I've talked about it before, but if you just, if you made a bot that just made GitHub accounts and stud the fuck out of your, you know, your, your package, then you would be golden. Like, you would, now you're the most popular package everybody uses you. Um, and that's the kind of, I guess, the case with this, this cookies thing. Um, but to combat that, there is, uh, like, you can add to your, your unit testing uh, stuff like NSP, which I think is outdated now by Uplift Security. But there was, uh, I can't think of what the, what the other ones are called, but there's a few. Um, and they allow, like, your unit testing to check for, like, like, known CVs, known vulnerabilities against those specific packages and those version numbers. And, like, that can be automated. So... For anyone who's out there writing Node thinking they're, like, fucking awesome and not doing that shit, like, you should probably start doing that shit. That's interesting. I'm looking at that. Or at least reading the libraries you're installing. Let's be yeah, realistic. Code. Like, how, how... Do you do that, by the way? Do you actually look at... Uh, I don't. Usually, uh, I don't think any... I, I, most people really don't. They just yeah. pip install whatever the fuck they want. Anybody in the stream? So yeah. I, uh, I definitely used to audit packages um, and mirror them internally, like freeze and mirror them internally um, at one place that I worked uh, that was in finance. Um, yeah, that's good. Because, 
yeah, like you can't. You, if you pull something from the outside, like you know, tomorrow it can get an update from. So I saw one like a really funny Git commit. It was basically like a C99 or R57 like PHP shell, like directly to yes. like pull requests to to WordPress, like to WordPress core. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, it didn't get accepted, obviously, but somebody was like, "I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna try wow, this I shit." Wonder, okay. I wonder if you just tried that. How many you could get to accept it, though? We should. Yeah. Mm, somebody in a fake reality should try that. <laughs> oh. Loading. <laughs> 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 uh, fictional universe. Um, who might be watching this? Game. Yes. Uh, it's funny though. You you know you you we were kind of talking before the show about methodology and just having general security methodology and i think that's something hugely missing from open source community and uh like some of the bigger projects they're looking at closely but uh i would say a ton of stuff just is not being reviewed at all and that actually kind of makes open source less secure when you really think about it yeah i mean i think a big thing is just that it it's the, the amount of, of open source code that's even pulled from like i mean if we even think about like the stuff from twitter and, and github and whatever may have caused certain things to happen because of non not reviewing you know um code properly i mean it just it's it's a massive undertaking to do code review on you know like let's say you are using some additional ssh wrapper or something for a python app and that python app somehow calls SSH decorator and or you have even further removed from that different degrees away from it I mean there's I haven't looked at the source tree of of every single package that I I use you know unless I'm just using strictly the standard Python library or standard you know JavaScript libraries and and with JavaScript too I mean half that stuff is so minified and like uglified and, and insanely convoluted that it's it, it's you know on par with sometimes even like binary distributions, like to actually unpack, disassemble, and understand how it works. So it, it definitely gets pretty crazy. Like, has anybody here read all of jQuery or read, you know, all of some of the more common stuff here? Like if, if something were to happen to it, I honestly would have no idea, you know? I do it, I do it, and I do it for every update too, because that's just- <laughs> Yeah, you, 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 you do for <laughs> yeah, every single like packed update, yeah. Yeah, I do. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> nah. Yeah. So, um, with with uh, I've noticed now it's being more common with uh, jQuery to, uh, and, and other included libraries from CDNs that um, uh, hash is added as well with the URL, which is still a client side check, so the browser has to support it. But uh, what if you owned a CDN and you just backdoored like you owned one of them jQuery CDNs and then you just backdoored that like? How many sites, like if you put, say, a Bitcoin miner in there for like two hours from a CDN that's distributing jQuery, how many Bitcoins would you mine? Probably like 0.01, but you know. It's another challenge for a theoretical person. <laughs> yeah, um, definitely pretty interesting. Definitely a lot to just think about because... Everybody here uses open source software in some fashion, and we don't always know who's contributing to them. But I think uh, an interesting thing Elon Musk, uh, Elon's Musk, brought up is diffing it, and like it, we were kind of joking, right? Like nobody really actually does this. I would say it would be a huge 
minority of people actually looking at the diffs of what's changing and, and even be able to understand the diffs and all that. But it might not be a bad idea to start creating tools that produce a minimum viable like security check for all these different yeah. things that are open source. So someone that um someone that I know is banned from uh, or was banned from Node.js on uh, on Freenode for uh, helping people. Um, and people would say, how would I write this code? And this person would respond with uh, purposely vulnerable code that was sort of like, <laughs> like you know, semi-obfuscated. <laughs> and it, it, it took quite a while for the, uh, it took quite a while before they were banned, so. Has Excellent. anyone ever used Concourse before or heard of it? No, what is it? Yeah, it's a tool that can basically help with auditing and tracking like versions of code and I mean, it, it's definitely useful for more for like updating sort of things like, uh, like you know, just keeping track of all the packages in your environment. But then also, you know, being able to keep track of like say like versions that you need to skip, like whatever version of SSH decorator that was or whatever npm version that was. Um, I'll probably find a good link about it and post it in the channel. But it's definitely interesting that there are tools that can map out dependencies and map out versions like that and can help to kind of assist in this dizzying process. Yeah. I think one interesting thing that uh, GitHub could actually do themselves is a reputational thing for the people that are submitting. Uh, uh, GitHub changes. actually does also some vulnerability checking already. They do alert you if really? you're using... Some, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think any of my personal repos were flagged, but I have seen it before. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, if you have a CV, if they find a CV in your shit, uh, they'll, flag, they'll flag it. Wow, I did not know that. That's uh, TIL. Holy shit. Awesome. I think it takes an understanding, though, of, like, because... Say you use a library, which say you use jQuery, and say the bug is in a function that is like um, it specifically inserts images into the DOM where the parent class is blah 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 some like really specific method, right? And you never call it, um, like you never could, you can't reach that code path without an existing XSS. Most people will just be like, ah, who gives a shit? Um, like I don't, you know, that's that's not a concern, that's that's not a risk, that's not a security concern to me. I'm not going to patch it when it could be later, like, part of a bug chain, like, possibly, like, depending where it is, what it is, you know, there's a lot of factors, but people think, like, oh, this isn't directly impacting my application, so patching or backporting is, is not really necessary, um, when in reality, like, two months later, the next bug comes out that is, like, the foothold, and then, you, get, you know, you complete the chain, and they get totally fucking owned. Interesting. Does, uh, does anybody have... Uh, idea of what GitHub is using? Are they just they get their own stuff, or are they using a product to look for this? There's a hard coding string matches. Oh, okay, so maybe Yara something type. I just can imagine if you modified it at all, it would actually come back. I don't think they have the time to like audit the code, and I don't see how you could like heuristically. I mean, maybe if you label the function call, that'd be really difficult to do to like assess code as a risk. Well, I think you could just go like, say you got a package.json or you got like a requirements.txt or fucking whatever. I, I'm sure they can like string match out of that and be like, oh, there's, you know, read read that with using whatever library and uh, match it against. Machine learning for uh, backdoors. 
Well, so the thing is, there's a lot of web shells and stuff that are hosted on GitHub. So I'm just wondering, is this a new thing that they started doing or retroactive? What's the deal there? Because I know there's like a ton of web shells. Yeah, there are like sec lists and lists like that. That's why I think I look for like the common one, like C49 or whatever. Can, can you please remove my password from the password list? <laughs> Uh, if anyone didn't see that, uh, there's a, a password list on GitHub, and an issue was opened where someone asked to have their password removed. <laughs> I believe it was a joke, but like you know, maybe it wasn't. It could be real. <laughs> I, I kind of want to try that. That'd be funny. Um, yeah, but the, I think it's. Uh, I believe it's retroactive. Like they are looking at older repos as well. It's in. As far as I can tell, it's an automated system, but I. Uh, but the, if you do a search on GitHub, you can like search in code. So I would say that it's like something backended. Like I would just just guessing, I would say that it yeah. has something to do with the way that they search, like have that uh, code search engine stuff built. So it's a cool topic. I like it though. I'm gonna start uploading crazy shit to my GitHub now. It doesn't have anything good on it, anyways. <laughs> um, hey, so do you guys see this other article? That's the next one in the list that I thought was pretty crazy. Actually, thanks to Death Hand, who's our, who's our Twitch chat moderator. Um, he shared this thing that was about every Google search results in CO2 emissions. And, and basically, the, it tracks the usage. There's a project that tracks the usage of Google's, um, the carbon footprint of Google as people do searches. And um, apparently, Google uses 40% of the entire internet's carbon footprint. Um, which is pretty crazy. Wow. And, you know, when you, when you, there's a, actually, I'm going to pull up the project now. Um, maybe I can put this in a browser search or something. Um, but, yeah, so basically Google, like, every, like, second is putting out, like, a 1,000 kilograms of, of CO2, um, which is pretty crazy. Basically, like, it, it takes up the resources of 23 trees that have to use their CO2 absorbing abilities for every second spent on Google. Do you guys yeah. remember black? Do you guys remember black hole? There was like a a, a black web page that was literally just a Google search. Uh, yeah. What's what the hell was it? It was the supposedly stop the electricity usage of white pixels or some shit like that, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. yeah exactly. <laughs> I love it. It may, it it makes a little bit of sense, I guess. I don't know how effective it really is, but I think uh, I guess this article is really more talking about like Google's servers and Google's like products rather than like people using their service. That's funny. I think it was uh, I think it was like good-hearted, but that was right during the transition of CRT to LCD, and like LCD still paints it the exact same as it was paint like a white. Uh, a yeah, white it doesn't, doesn't turn funny. the pixel up right. <laughs> yeah, I think like it actually uses largely it. more power. Yeah, actually. yeah. I was just gonna say, <laughs> it uses more. You tried though. Nice, you tried sticker. So, um, I think like as much as Google are using, I think uh, so. One of the projects I worked on a long time ago was uh, this carbon neutral platform, which is to, when I was building it, it was a joke. It basically goes like this. User logs onto website. User punches in a bunch of numbers in their calculator about their uh, energy usage, their air, air travel time, and the, like their their fuel consumption, whatever. It then calculates uh, roughly your carbon emissions, 
and then you select a, a carbon offset program, which is like either hydroelectric, uh, planting trees, or whatever. And then you go to the checkout page, and <laughs> you then pay the offset like that goes to this charity, and then you get a certificate that's like, like it was literally just a PDF we generated with P with PHP, and it's like mm, you're all carbon neutral now. Print this out and stick it on your wall. But I think what or like it's you know it means well, but at the end of the day, like it doesn't stop the carbon from like the CO two, it doesn't stop CO two from being emitted. It doesn't like really stop how much you're using. It just makes you feel better by paying money, right? Yeah, that's yeah. the whole thing with uh, like green and CO two and all that. It's it really just kind of at the end of the day comes down to first of all you can put numbers in any like you can make numbers say whatever you want them to say and then secondly it's like kind of just to make you feel better make you yeah, feel good i think if, if you want to help go out and plant a tree <laughs> like, all right plant a tree and for stop every burning search, all, plant that, a tree. all that garbage that you've been burning stop just stop doing that because that's that tire, at all. <laughs> the tire fire put the tire fire out <laughs> yeah that tire fire that you just randomly have in the backyard that you started a year ago put that out hey, Go ahead and of, do uh, that tire fires <laughs> the next thing that we have on the list is microsoft adding support for javascript functions in excel you guys hear about this fucking idea oh that sounds great oh that's a good one excel miner so, yeah, um, just as they were starting to sort of lock shit down, they're like, hey, let's put, <laughs> let's put JavaScript in there. <laughs> we I actually saw a, a thing on LinkedIn recently that was like a uh, tips on Excel to impress your boss or whatever. And one of them was like this plugin uh, called Excel Wings, which is like like Excel Wings, which is basically it adds Python, like, like Python bindings uh, that are then called from VBA scripts. So it was like, ah, oh, now not only does my macros allow me to, like, write macros and malicious crap that way, I have direct, I, like, I can import OS. Like, now what do I do? Oh, that's delicious. That's good. So yes, I feel press your boss. Yeah, I, back to your boss. No, I think it's more like <laughs> JavaScript is the next level of like. Now let's just integrate that feature. Like, just get your boss Bitcoin mining for you. Why, why did the people who were suggesting this in the room that were everybody was on cocaine? Let's just establish right there that that's that's what had to have been happening. Everyone so everybody's on cocaine. on cocaine, right? They're all gacked out, and then somebody's like, "Holy shit! What, what if we put JavaScript in Excel <laughs> and like they're licking <laughs> <and stuff. laughs> But nobody did. Yeah, rubbing their teeth. But nobody just kind of stared and said, what the fuck are we doing? We need to stop. Nobody so on that, that, like, I saw uh, I saw, I saw somebody had posted, it might have even been you, Dan, someone posted um, on Twitter that a senior engineer's experience to work at Microsoft was four years. It was one, one of their hiring pages. Oh, wow. Um, no, I didn't see that. And so, like, it was, it's basically what I feel is, like, the, the, the glass door rate and the way people are moving in the company, maybe, maybe not so much the glass door rate at higher levels, but people who get to make these suggestions maybe aren't as seasoned as some of the, the older, more cynical, quote, our perspective type people. Um, 
But when you're putting like when you're deciding on feature sets like that, it's about what's cool, right? Like what's going to sell. Like there are and a lot of people know JavaScript. Node obviously took off when it did, um, and TypeScript is being pushed pretty hard. Has been pushed pretty hard by Microsoft as well. So I think a combination of those things are like, well, at what point do we get TypeScript? Um, so people who know TypeScript to now just be able to like transition between their bosses who want Excel spreadsheets and like the things that they already know. Yeah, I think it's an interesting thing. I just, I, I wonder where, like, you got to kind of wonder the mentality of people that that suggest things like that. Because obviously they weren't, at least I don't think, it would be pretty funny if they suggested it just as like an anarchist kind of like, fuck you to everybody. But I, I got to think <laughs> <laughs> that they did it out of, good, out of a good place, right? They wanted to make the product more usable. And so it's this weird disconnect that I could never see myself suggesting something like that but you see it day after day right yeah like this feature is uh hip cool new whatever like i don't know whatever it's it's uh it's swag it's helpful it's, it's helpful <laughs> yay it's helpful like no afterthought of security <laughs> yeah uh bfrax in the chat said web devs wanted to learn excel and yeah i think that's a good point is like web devs probably don't know how to make sweet macros so uh it opens the market for, to keep like i guess excel to me is like at least is dying but in business it's not um yeah. like in business land everyone loves excel right oh yeah yeah but like, yeah, but, like do you guys actually use excel <laughs> yeah do you guys don't like does any any of you guys actually use excel like per, like choose to use excel or is it forced upon you no never once I don't use Last Excel. Week. I use the uh, LibreOffice bullshit there. Calc Google whatever. Google Sheets is a lot better. Is it, I don't use Google shit. Uh, so there's a another story in our little topic notes that says, well, this is something that like pretty fucky to me, but at the same time it also like makes perfect sense. It's Russian hackers poses ISIS to threaten military wives. Do you guys see this? Earlier. I'm not surprised. I, I'm honestly not. Yeah, I mean, basically, there's a few people that were like targeted on social media and other platforms that were basically people who would be able to speak out about it. Um, you know, a lot of it is definitely, I think, to sort of change the narrative. You know, it seems to be the point of all this. Um, it seems like it's been linked to APT28 or Fancy Bear. And it's just another one of those amazing spear phishing campaigns that seems to fuck with the actual political discourse in a country, in America at least, and other countries as well. There's actually pretty substantial evidence to show that the entire um, caliphate thing back in 2014 to uh, 2016 was basically just a Russian psyop. Yeah. Because, um, yeah, nuts. That's madness. Ow. But I don't doubt it at this point. I don't doubt anything anymore. <laughs> Dude, everything is a Russian style. Yeah, exactly. Stub your toe while making a sandwich. It's the fucking Russians, man. Perfect. Um, so yeah, I just want to throw that out there. Um, there's another one uh, on our topic list. That, I don't think I saw this one either. Um, this one's pretty shocking, but at the same time, again, like like most things, it's sort of just run of the mill now 
So there's 350,000 cardiac devices that are in need of a security um, patch. And it, it to me, this is like, I couldn't imagine having to need a pacemaker or having to need any sort of medical equipment, not understanding it at all and having it somehow be vulnerable to some bullshit. This was an episode of, uh, so two things. This was an episode of uh, Homeland, I think. It was Homeland, it was some show. Uh, one of those shows where there's a guy in the office and someone steals the, like, uh, the system for their pacemaker and starts, like, being like, you're going to do something or other, and then, like, starts fucking with their chest. And that wasn't exactly a cyber attack or whatever. Like, there wasn't any, you know, there wasn't any um, hacking down. It was just the thing that controlled it. But um, Barnaby Jack, I guess, was supposed to release a lot of information about this before he died, RIP. Um, and it didn't come, like, as far as I know, a lot of that didn't come to light. So uh, that's some years ago now. So, like, how long has this been known about? Uh, has it ever been used like we've seen on TV? And, like, that's some scary-ass shit. Like, you know, that keeps people alive. Dude. Yeah. And so, There's a hard-coded override code. Yep, three bytes. Wow. Ugh, three bytes. Were you supposed to speak at DEF CON? supposed to speak at Black Hat, but yeah. Black Hat, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, just, it's crazy to me that, like, you know, we, we talk about the Internet of Things stuff a lot. We talk about even, this is, has to do with radio as well. We talk about all these different things because we, you know, it's good to have a laugh about you know, somebody leaving some stupid network of IP cameras open, but when it's like stuff is keeping people alive, stuff in people's bodies, I mean, we could be there someday at some point needing some sort of assisted medical device or something that's literally an organ keeping us alive. And it just sucks to think that there could be anything that could enable some just like dumbass person to come and just fuck with you and kill you potentially or somebody you love. I mean, imagine imagine walking through like a, a retirement home, fucking killing all and just fucking killing everyone. Yeah, or it's like a little hostage or something, you know. Yeah, like, I, I, that's very that's very feasible, actually. You know, the fucking sad part about all this is that it's really it's going to require that happening before anybody pays attention to this because it's been around since barnaby jag and barnaby's been gone for what five six years now yeah uh, 2013 so, yeah that's crazy and like nothing's changed they just keep pumping these devices out that are mad insecure well he was the one who was going to talk about it okay so i mean if he was going to talk about it that and you know he's a researcher what kind of other departments have thought about that before what kind of NSA style things have we seen? Like, you know, we've seen a whole bunch of cases where the NSA or the whatever the other three, that FSB, whoever, have been doing attacks that haven't made it to sort of mainstream infosec, um, like even buffer overflows, you know? So did they know about it beforehand? It's, you know, I don't want to go into conspiracies about Barnaby. Like, I just let that, leave that where it is. But, um, like, did have they, were they using that beforehand and now are they, and now that it's out, are the doctors themselves who uh, manage these patients actually going to know that it's they need updating, contact their patients, do all that kind of stuff? Like, how do you disseminate that information to um, write out to the people who actually need to know about it? 
Yeah, so I saw a really cool talk, and uh, there's these two medical guys, and they basically did like a mock scenario for these doctors, and they brought in a patient who had like a simulated uh, insulin pump that was hacked, and the doctor basically, as you'd expect, they had no fucking clue what was going on, and then they brought in like a patient who had a uh, pacemaker that was hacked, no idea what was going on, like all they had to do was a, like put an electromagnet to the chest, like they weren't able to figure it out, and then the patient died. So it's really interesting to see that, and there are people who are like, uh, "What's up?" Are you saying uh, I I was sort of not paying attention a little bit? Did you say there was an active, there was an actual case of a pacemaker being hacked? No, but basically it was a simulated. Uh, there are these two guys who give a talk at oh, ThoughtCon okay. about a week ago, yeah, and they basically they are like they're hackers and they're in the medical field, and they did a mock scenario for some of these doctors, and like no one was able to identify what was going on. Yeah, that's crazy. Wow. No, I thought you were actually saying it happened in real no. life <laughs> so far. It's, yeah, it's really interesting because uh, I'm a type 1 diabetic and I have insulin pump and I have a uh, continuous glucose monitor and stuff. So I've like I've got things, you know, running Bluetooth and shit connected to my body and it's just so weird, you know? Yeah, yeah I would be asking for the version from the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> I do not want an updated version, please. Have you had yourself yet, ZLZ? Oh, I'm sorry. Have you hacked yourself yet? Yeah, so it's uh, it's really interesting because it uh, it's a Bluetooth connected device for the continuous glucose monitor, which basically uh, it's a replacement for checking and poking your finger for your blood sugar. So what it is, it's like a, it's connected to my myself. Uh, it logs up, it has a sensor, and like, and then two hours later, it, it sends the readings to my phone, and my phone sends those readings to a web server. So right now, like all of my body's things are being stored on some website. So I was just messing around with it a little bit, and there's definitely some things that I just, I sent him an email about, but like, it's just that you couldn't actually do anything since there's no insulin distribution with it, but uh, the, the device is just kind of fucked, right? Like, they don't, they care about security, but I mean, they're not like doing, obviously, like crazy things with it. Yeah, this is, this is where uh, violent disclosure territory comes into yeah. play, but I, it's a little bit too violent <laughs> to Absolutely, actually yeah. like fuck with somebody's health, but There's I think DLC. it needs to, the scenario-based stuff seems like it's the most uh, effective and the most safe method of, of bringing awareness and teaching people. But holy shit! I mean, the fact that this is still like a pseudo secret thing is amazing to me. It's fucking just amazing. So is a cyborg. Like I just want to say that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> completely. <laughs> um, I wish Solid was in here because he shared a really cool uh, write-up that I was reading earlier today um, about adblock um, and using adblock. I'm going to share that link in the chat too. So it basically just goes over the whole story of how adblock plus works and how adblocking as an industry works. Um, where basically now there's just programs that are acceptable ads. And so acceptable ads are ads that are supposedly not interfering with the user experience, but you can also get your ads approved by just paying them off, paying off the um, organization that created Adblock Plus. And so a lot of people here rely on things like Adblock Plus to you know, protect themselves from basic stuff like malware that might be loaded into an advertisement or, you know, anything else that's annoying as far as ads go. Um, but I think it's pretty interesting to see there's a whole industry of people that are basically doing the regulating while also providing a back channel for people who have the money. 
Yeah, one thing I've noticed with them too uh, is, and I don't, I'm skimming over the article real quick, but they're doing a lot more telemetry uh, stuff. Like uh, you see it phone home if you have really tight firewall rules. Like you'll see all the connections that AdBlock is making to itself to phone home, and there's like pretty blatant uh, like connections for probably shit that they don't need to be connecting back for, but they do anyways. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I started using uBlock, and well, I'm sure they're not a whole hell of a lot better as far as that. Um, I That's, I would say, my suggestion as yeah. a solution to a lot of that stuff. The article actually suggests so, using uBlock Origin, because I guess uBlock yeah. is a fork of uBlock. Well, uBlock and uBlock Origin are um, two separate entities entirely, and uBlock Origin is yeah. the one that came that's the original idea of the project so it's still free open source it has its own filter list and they don't try to make money off of having that yeah i should have said yeah new block origin i wasn't aware that they're actually two separate ones yeah i didn't even know that until i read this article and i was like damn <laughs> but yeah definitely something to look out for as far as just you know being safe and understanding that everybody has a price <laughs> I think as well, like, uh, it's pretty easy to get a, um, a, a Chrome extension on the Chrome store. Like, you, you, I think it costs, like, $5 one time to get your account oh, verified or some shit. And then you just Jesus. make whatever you want. So, like, you just put it up there and you, uh, you're in a name, like, you're in a namespace that is not necessarily visible from window either. So, uh, in the manifest, you can basically just list, uh, like, including wildcard sort of strings that match what domains your um, your application is going to have, like your extension is going to have um, access to. And with all these ad block ones, it's like you know wildcard everything, H, like every every protocol handler, every um, domain, because they they're trying to block ads. You know, they're not specifically going like this domain, that domain, this domain. Obviously, because spam techniques, ad techniques rotate domains and and have large pools of domains and shit like that. But that also means that when you go to your bank, these kind of scripts are also running. So I think um, another benefit to using the open source stuff is uh, you can actually read the source code if you feel inclined to. And other people are reading the source code because uh, you know, a lot of people have a lot of free time on their hands and they're probably more paranoid than you are. Um, hopefully people that are in here kind of people, but you know, there's, and again, like, but you could, there's also the, the closed source ones where what if you compromise the same JavaScript libraries that we talked about earlier and you pushed into like adblock, right? Exactly. Yeah, there's a bunch of stuff as far as most of Chrome extensions go too. It's just pretty wild out there, especially for stuff that's like not maintained as much and people still use it because they think it's the right one. But yeah. Um, another interesting write-up actually i think it was Lynx who i don't know where Lynx is today but he shared a really interesting um article which i'll again share in the chat um about 7-zip and how there is you can get code execution on on older versions of 7-zip um i actually don't know when newer version that isn't the patch came out but apparently um 7-zip wasn't using um, the EP or an ASLR uh, previously, and people had released a PLC to use 7-zip to execute code. 
Didn't really see that. Yep. So, no more downloading seven zip. Like I said, I'm just looking about it. Yeah, I'm just looking right now. Like, there's some interesting things. Um, when you think about uh, encryption, uh, encryption. Sorry. When you think about compression. Um, and then you mix it up with things like uh, adding encryption to it and, and whatever as well. It's like it, be, it becomes a very messy format to sort of um, deal with. Like you're, you're extremely heavy math, uh, you're like heavy math when it comes to compression, and then you match it up with heavy math when it comes to you know encryption. You put the two together, and now you just get a huge math-based thing. And I think that the kind of people who are interested in those, like in that kind of programming, may not necessarily like they might be tunnel visioned into to one sort of thing because they're dealing with such a complex problem that maybe implementing something like aslr dep or whatever else um wasn't at the front of their mind and i guess that's why we have uh, developers who you know are across the board on you know they might not be as good as math as the guys who are doing the compression stuff but maybe they are across other things you know and i, I guess it's a huge oversight um but it's not like if you just take out any compressed file you have and look at it in a hex editor, you're basically looking at shit. Like, yeah. past, you, you see the header and then what's next? Like, who knows? Yeah, it's really difficult to figure out what something is in there. And, and the fact that you don't know, like, I mean, you wouldn't even, it's, it's just difficult to ever predict what something is when you're unzipping it like that. I mean, cricketing even about right like polyglots and things like that as well that might execute themselves. So, um, yeah, and if, if we have a look at like um, self-extracting 7-zips as well, which I mentioned in the, in the article, um, what what's the difference between like uh, self-extracting 7-zip and UPX pack, right? You know? Exactly. It's pretty wild. Um, but yeah, and also, I don't know what Crazed is, but I saved the story just for him, actually. Hermit shared this with me um so <laughs> i'm gonna post this in the chat basically the superintendent of a school just got caught like just pooping every day on the track and field <laughs> um he got caught by <laughs> surveillance cameras it just seems to be one of the biggest stupidest fails i've ever seen and he's like a phd in education so just... administration and he's like pretty well decorated and he just i don't know he's pooped on the, the track every day it's easy enough so to make raised finally got caught. without them doing anything like this it also makes me wonder like is this the first field he's done this in is this a lifelong thing for him is he just pooping behind his pooping house bandit. finally had like a new place to go like he's been going look up for years with this guy yeah, but that's I, awesome. It's really awesome that you were waiting for Craze to be here to to talk about this because it is like, a specialty. Hermit wanted to be created. Like it's just I don't know. Both connecting worlds. I <laughs> love it. Uh, I, I just know that Craze is like gonna be like fuck. I wasn't there because currently I was out shooting on a field while you guys are doing that. <laughs> <laughs> He's dealing with enough poop on his phone right now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Alrighty. So, hey, we are done with the news segment. Um, so now it's time to talk about the reason we're all here, which is video games. Yay. Oh, I forgot to queue up Soulsy Boy's video game swag. Just imagine that in your head. Um, so, yeah, um, we have a lot to cover as far as video games go. We've been discussing this a bunch with 
tons of people all over the place and trying to come together to just figure out what to discuss. And I feel like we kind of have to just go with the flow because <laughs> we have a lot. Um, so, I mean, just following through the topics that we have, I mean, I, I, we were we were talking about this earlier and trying to find somebody who's actually been able to put Linux on a switch. Has anyone who is listening right now done that? <laughs> or anybody in the Twitch chat you can post up and give us some screenshots. Um, because I've been seeing a ton of different stuff. Actually, RQU, are you available to speak right now? He was the one who was talking about the um, latest exploit about the Switch. And actually, Decoded, you shared that as well. The, um, yeah, I got, I got my RCM jig coming in Friday. I tried doing that yesterday, but I don't want to screw up my contacts. The way you do it is through the Joy-Con with the pins 9 and 10, where we can do it on the side reel and short the pins 9 and 10. But I just I want to do it right. It's been a, long, a lot of time building that 30K jig for the Androids, and it's like a $4 part. Might as well just order one and do it right. Yeah, no, so you, you mentioned shorting. Can you hear me? Oh, hey. Yeah. Hi. Hey. Hello. Welcome. How's okay, going? I think that works most. Yeah, okay, cool. I can hear you now. Yeah, we so... can hear So real quick, yeah. I was just going to say that for Decoded, um, you know, you mentioned that there was a, a shorting thing that you're doing or that's possible that's, to do and all that. Yeah, it's to put it in recovery mode. You got to put it in recovery mode so that you can upload your payload. So just to take a small step back for one one minute, some of our people that are listening, probably most of them know what shorting means and all that, but there might be a few that don't. So maybe just real high level shorting you're, is... You're basically just taking a, a, a hot pin and then grounding it. In, in this particular application, you're taking pin 10 and then you're taking it to ground. And by doing that, you're you're essentially shorting it. Right on. So like a really... A really uh, poor man's way of doing it is like taking a piece of wire like speaker wire and even attaching that to a ground right you can do it in the joy con people are taking apart the joy con and then just crossing pins nine and ten across without even doing any soldering the the lamest way to do it is probably doing it that way it's literally taking apart your joy con and then taking the pin nine and then pushing it over to ten and then put your joy con back together and that'll work and then you can boot it up holding what is it home volume up and then the power button and then you'll have it booted in recovery mode. Um, we actually had a... There was a picture I'm trying to find that was posted in Discord um, that was the... It looks like it's 3D printed decoded. Is that the, the DLC yeah. 3D printed thing? R- the R- they call it an RCM jig, which is for recovery mode. Now, is this different from the debug one? The X-Pro or whatever it was called? I think we talked about this last week. Either way, you got to put it in recovery mode. The steps... The first tip to do in any of that, yeah, that's exactly what I ordered right there. Oh, okay. That's what it is. Cool. I'm going to put it on the screen real quick. <laughs> yeah, so has anybody done any additional playing? I know, Dakota, do you want to talk about anything you may have done with um, your Switch so far? That's your first tip right there, though. I mean, you get you got to do that to get to get it anywhere. So what kind of uh so after you you shot it you get it into your recovery mode you hold your keys you hold it down through like then 
he What's used that Fuse Gelato, or the hell he call it, the uh, Python script, basically. And then you can upload your payload. But then you have to have your stuff, I think, on an SD card to boot it or whatnot. So you boot Linux. Yeah, so and then the benefit is being able to run things like, say, a Dolphin emulator. You can essentially emulate like a Nintendo Wii or run um, any of the homebrew. You could only do stuff with the, was it version 3.0 firmware? But now because of this exploit that they have running, you can basically do it on any firmware now. Yeah, yeah it has so something to do with... with uh, what, it, uh, what it is is um, there's a vulnerability in the graphics cards boot ROM, in the Tegra X1 boot ROM. Um, so if you boot into DFU mode, uh, you can basically write up to 64K of uh, data using USB and that's more than enough to write into the stack. And so um, you can get arbitrary code execution on the graphics card. And from there, you can get arbitrary code execution on the entire system. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah it's pretty impressive. That's cool stuff. So now this would have been well, not- a debug feature already or a way for people to, for developers to sideload their own code, right? Or is this a bug, an actual exploit? Say that again? This is an actual exploit. Uh, yeah. I was wondering if this was like a debug feature somebody found or if this was an actual like exploit. It's a combination it's a combination of things. Okay. I mean from, from the recovery mode to the exploit to the smashing the stack to all kinds of stuff. Cool. Yeah. You've seen stuff like this before, like in the PSPs where you would just short out one of the pins in the battery and put it into service mode where you can then rewrite uh, over the firmware. Yeah, I remember that. That was pretty elite. Yeah, the Pandora's Pandora's battery. Yeah, so um, I guess uh, the I guess we're still sort of at the point though where so Linux is apparently running on these switches, but not all of the peripherals. Uh, like it, we're still at the point where not all the peripherals are supported. I think it actually works completely in there, but there's no advanced graphics acceleration within Linux. So I don't think that's as nominal as be uh what about uh the wi-fi so there's a problem like wi-fi wasn't working yet is that a solved thing don't make don't make a lie out of me because i haven't done it yet i was gonna do it yesterday but then decided to wait someone told me to wait and just get a jig so i did that and i'll have it here friday yeah i've uh mine's on the to-do list as well but um i sort of i really just bought it just to play nintendo games right so i already got <laughs> linux uh, linux's right but i mean the next step, obviously, is game dump. See, now you can dump your, your game cartridges, and then at some point, we'll be able to boot these game cartridges. So, I mean, there's piracy portion of it. There's the homebrew portion of it. There's a lot of interesting homebrew for it as well already. Through the yeah, so Mega Switch. In the homebrew category, I think, uh, like, so one of the coolest homebrews, which is on like which ends up on every single console, is always um, emulators for other consoles. But uh, like a time where I found that that was really cool was playing uh, Zelda: Link to the Past on 3DS, like the SNES version. And right before I played uh, A Link Between Worlds, um, which was the 3DS version, so it was kind of like you couldn't, you know, that was fun. I know that the uh, Dolphin emulator team said they were going to work on a version for Switch. No, that's already working. Or well, they have they have one where it works within Linux, so you can run Dolphin already as we within Linux, but there's not like one specifically made as a home run on Switch, if that makes sense. So I'm pretty ignorant about a lot of this stuff. Um, 
I don't I don't have a switch or any of that. What I keep hearing Dolphin though. Dolphin's just a, an emulator for the what is it, the Wii and the GameCube, I think. GameCube, yeah. Interesting. And they just threw a link up so to a picture of that running on a switch in the chat. Cool. Oh nice. And so you're running you're running an emulator for other Nintendo products on a Nintendo product. That's kind of cool. I like it. Yeah, well, especially because Nintendo has announced that they're not bringing their virtual console to the Switch. That's wild. But you guys are just like, fuck you. Yes, you are. And yeah. here we go. <laughs> Whether you meant to or not. Nice. So um, Nintendo have been pretty progressive with uh, like the anti-tamper uh, techniques, I guess, in the in the past. If you look at the early versions of the Wii, um, the the Wii clip came out, which is the same as the 360 clip, which is the same as the one for the PS4, which was the um, uh, the NAND clip. That I mean, I use it for routers and stuff, but you, you can clip NAND and dump it, and people were were physically permanently mounting these um, teensies into uh, PS4s and stuff to upgrade and downgrade between firmwares on the fly. Nintendo uh, took the extra initiative to, I, I believe they dumped resin over the top of... Um, they blow fuses. So, like with, the, every, with every firmware update or every NAND update, they blow a fuse behind it. So they can only do X upgrades, say. They're only guaranteed to do so many firmware updates because they blow a fuse behind it every time you do it. Wait, wait, hold on. They're... they're causing a fuse to blow Purpose. during a, an upgrade yes <coughs> no shit. that's so they're actually causing a physical action that's amazing that's the way of preventing you from downgrading so like say like you ideally you want to be on firmware 3.0 but if you upgrade from 3.0 to above it you can't ever go back they wow. blown fuses prevents you from ever going back Recorded. I, I, I posted in the twitch chat about the the e-fuse there we go. Yeah. I was gonna say, are these are these fuses that are on the actual chips, or are they other additional hardware stuff? In the chip. Okay, cool. That's what I thought. That's yeah, I think so there's wild. been some cases as well where uh, uh, some uh, like baseband type stuff was um, use a similar type of uh, hardware to like have write once um, IMEIs and stuff like that. And uh, I've seen cases where, um, like, even Olich, I was reading an article the other day where they were using UV exposure, like decapping and using UV exposure to, yeah, to right modify. That. Yeah, <laughs> right. so you, you can do that with this really easily. I mean, you can take a high voltage programmer and reset all the fuses to get that chip out, you know, and to, to do that is not very Wait, likely. What? Wait, I mean, so you can reverse the fusing or the. Right, but you, you, you have to take the chip out, and that's very, very difficult. It'd, sure. it'd be easier for you just to buy a new one outright, like a whole new switch system, than to That's get, get in and take the chip out, though. That's so crazy that you can reverse it, though. Because, like, when you start, when you're talking about game consoles, it maybe isn't so, like... I mean, on the blowing the, the, the uh, fuse part, you can do that on any chip with a high-voltage program. <laughs> I mean... Uh, so, but that would include, like, when you get into phones and stuff, because phones probably use the same kind of deal right well i mean like when you're flashing a chip and you blow fuses purposely to set certain settings or whatnot and you can reset those but it requires a high voltage program there's a difference between like just a chip programmer and a high voltage programmer 
How high volts are we talking? Interesting. Like we said, enough, like ten. And enough, enough to reset the fuses. Basically, you're, <laughs> you're setting a state. You know. Well, can right, you? So can you like, like five volts? Or... No, five, five, volts, volts. five volts would be a, a regular like voltage programming. High voltage is much higher than that. Just if you get time, just like get on the internet, and look up a high voltage program, specifically a high voltage programmer. Let's say you send like 800 volts, right? <laughs> it's a lot of a lot of well, volts, I mean, but low. Yeah, you, probably, you, you probably melt the chip, but I don't mean like that high voltage. But you just have like your normal chip programmers, and you have high voltage chip programmers. There's a distinct difference between the two. One can uh -huh. program so a chip, and then set just as an example, the AVR you. uses. Sorry, the AVR uses 12 volts, just as an example of how high voltage. So I oh, guess my okay. point was going to be, is there like, is there a, a tolerance high end that you can just send in general to chips and be, know that it'll be okay? Like 20 volts is pretty much going to cover any chip or is it, it does it have to be chip by chip? I think it's going to be chip by chip. Okay. Right yeah, it's usually so within the most data sheets I've read, it'll say like the operating voltage is between like, you know, 3.1 and 4.7, 5.2, something like that. But then I've definitely given it like a little bit more juice um, and not had them fry. But uh, I guess the high voltage programmers are still operating within like a little bit out, you know, outside of what they're telling you is the, the safe operating voltage. Um, so I suppose you've got risk, but, you know. Putting this all back into perspective, though, on the Nintendo Switch, they blow the fuses so you can't downgrade the firmware. To do this little high voltage program on the Nintendo Switch is very, very difficult with the way that they made the chip. You getting the chip out to do something like that. It's just, from what I've read so far, it's not plausible. Interesting, though. And so, uh, one thing that I've done, and I'm just, it, this is maybe a little bit of a tangent, but it kind of ties into it. Um, I've always kind of been told, in general, if you can't find the right, exact right AC adapter for AC DC, uh, conversion aim upward because usually there's caps that can regulate the voltages and i would assume that this is why if you overvolt something or plug in goes higher than undervolting is definitely is. worse than overvolting in most most cases something can right. operate but, something can operate optimally with more voltage than being undervolted and not being able to function correctly Right, like under voltage will actually cause damage usually, from what I understand, right? I mean, they both can, but the function, you're definitely going to want to be overvolted rather than undervolted. Yeah. Right on. Um, so, uh, so, what were you going to say? I was going to say, so, like, in, in the progression, I guess, before we got to blowing fuses, like, when, when did Nintendo, do you know when, what console Nintendo introduced that in? Switch, typically. Cool. So, like, Switch, yeah. Yeah, so before that, we had, like, the Wii clips that clipped over. They added resin. They started ramping up. Um, the, the Wii U is still a recent thing, I believe, as well. Like, even though it's been out for a while, it's obviously superseded by a new console. Um, and then again, the 3DS, uh, I believe they were using some form, like, they were encrypting the NAND while it was uh, stored and then doing some form of... Uh, some decryption at runtime, if anybody knows about um, that. I mean, the only thing that I really remember about that, I don't know about that specifically. I remember, though, I didn't actually have to end up doing this because I ended up finding a, um, hold on, can you guys hear me okay? 
There we go. Um, so yeah, I didn't have to, to do it before because I was able to just use one of the available exploits without having to dump the NAND. But you could basically create your own NAND dumper on for 3DS firmware and then um, just basically load the ROM of the vulnerable firmware or downgrading your firmware to then run the exploits you need to. But I didn't know um, or don't remember reading about I mean, anybody can correct me if I'm wrong um, about... Probably still had your key. Probably, it probably dumped your key as well. Yeah, that could have been the case, too. I just remember that it was it, it seemed a lot easier than it actually... than I thought it was going to be. Or it, it was a lot easier than I thought it would have been. But what I ended up doing for that 3DS, though, I don't know... Um, Elon, did you use... Uh, did you actually get Homebrew on your 3DS? Uh, yeah, so I got a I got a homebrew on 3ds in a couple of different ways. Um, the easiest way actually was uh, a Chinese card that cost me about twenty bucks at a stall, which is probably overpriced, but I don't know twenty bucks. I'm not for you know. Um, it, it's an R4 card, Ace card, whatever. There's like a whole bunch of different names for them. And um, what's funny is I have a friend that that worked in Nintendo on uh, Nintendo Australia at least, and. Um, what they used to do is go around to these market stalls and find these like dodgy traders selling these cards and basically shut them down. Um, and I don't know if they confiscated their products or just prevented them from selling or handed them a C and D or whatever. But uh, uh, that was part of one of the things they did was was prevent these cards being sold. But basically, how it works is um, to the system, the card looks exactly like an official game. So you put the card into into the um, into the 3ds and it will be like. Oh, it's the demo version of uh, I don't know, like Okonami or uh, Zelda Triforce Heroes or something. And then when it actually executes, um, it's launching whatever code you have on an SD card. And then from there, you chain load. You're chain loading like um, an image, which is a um, a ROM or whatever. And for a while, these didn't actually load 3DS ROMs. They you could load pr uh, previous DS ROMs. Um, and they could load uh, other emulators and homebrew and, and that kind of stuff. So that, that was a really easy way to do it. Of course, Nintendo caught up. Um, new cards came out, stuff like that. I believe there is a current version of the card that's being sold by Chinese manufacturers. I guess it's the same family of manufacturers. So I would assume if you were you know into that, you'd probably look for an R4 card. Um, and there is a method as well that is with the current version of firmware because once you have once you have that sort of uh, code execution, I mean that's when all these exploits that are, are current um, and and chains to get homebrew on you know onto your device sort of come into play. So with once you've got that R4 card, you can go and, and do that. Um, prior to that, some of the other methods that were used that uh, I think Links mentioned there was a way to do it using um, a uh, a MP4 that was oh, yeah. Um, not yeah it was it was not formed properly. So then you, you'd open it up in the music player, and it would start playing a tune. And then the next thing you know, um, it's it, the screen goes black, and you've got console output. Yeah. Um, so that was pretty elite as well. I thought that, like using image formats. It's literally like I, that's how I have it loaded. That's a, that's the method I have to use every time to load. Yeah, and yeah. Computer. Once again, once you get code execution. Yeah, you're off to the races. <laughs> that was awesome. Um, so yeah. yeah, I, I think there's uh, there's still a couple of other things as well that is like really similar to as well. Like if you guys ever saw Banner Bomb or Mail Bomb on the Wii, they were soft yeah. mods as well. Where uh, yeah, Mail Bomb was uh, I believe they were, both Mail Bomb and Banner Bomb were um, exploits in a PNG library. 
um, like in I don't know what they use whether they use an open source PNG library like like libpng or something or are they using their own shit? But, Xbox uh, has used a, used a font. Same thing, almost like the banner bomb. But when you soft mod the original Xbox, it was because of a font, if I remember correctly. Yeah, so the one on the original Xbox, so the the TSOP was also not writable. You had to bridge uh, two points on the traces, right? So that, that was pretty interesting. Um, you had to bridge two traces, and then you could use a soft mod after that. Um, For the soft mod, you just basically just hot swap the hard drive when it was in decrypted state on a computer, and then you booted your Linux CD, copied your stuff over, and then hot swapped it back over to the Xbox. You didn't have to modify anything beyond that. At least that's how I did mine. Uh, yeah, I remember that method. I believe that was patched though at some point. But um, some of the games for Me uh, for uh, Xbox were like Mech Assault, and um, I can't remember the, what other. Well, there was a few a few different games, and again, they had save game exploits that were yeah. uh, the same game was load. Pro yeah, that was pretty sweet. Um, again, the same thing with they did that. Games. They did that just recently with the Nintendo Switch on the was it three point with was it a uh, Pokemon tournament. They did a save game. I think that's the basis for the, the 3.0 firmware. Boy. I love it how they the, always the games like suck. Like I remember the one of the Wii games was like Lego Indiana Jones, and it was like I whipped my Lego back and forth. Like it sucks so hard. <laughs> Goddamn Legos, causing a lot of problems lately. Yeah. yeah. Um. So yeah, while, while we're still talking about this, um, do you guys want to get into? You break up, you sir. Pokemon Go. Yeah, so Pokemon Go got owned pretty hard as well. Like when it first came out, it was really quite popular. Yeah, I just remembered uh, some people here had mentioned talking about it. I wasn't sure if you guys wanted to discuss that. Man, so, like, you're per breaking up a little bit, but there was definitely a few of us in this channel that did some stuff with Pokemon Go. Uh, RQE, you still there? Yep. You want to take them through the take them the thing? Sure. So, um, let's see. I actually just found some of my files from that. So, um, basically, we started by looking at uh, the code. We unzipped the APK and then started looking at it. That got boring pretty quickly. So, we switched to looking at the network protocols. Um, Initially, when Pokemon Go was released, uh, they didn't use certificate pinning, which is the first thing that uh, Not Dan noticed. And he made a tweet about that, and then that led to this whole project for uh, reverse engineering Pokemon Go. Um, so we were looking at the network protocols. We saw that they were using uh, Google protocol buffers, which uh, it's kind of like JSON, where you have a key value um, but instead of like a text key, you just have a number. Um, so we don't know what the actual values are. We just know that there's some value and we have to kind of guess what that is. Um, and so over the course of a week or so, uh, we went from, hey, let's open uh, burp or whatever and see what the network traffic is to realizing burp doesn't properly decode protocol buffers, switching to man in the middle proxy, um, decoding all these protocol buffer formats. Um, yeah. And eventually we had our own tool that would allow us to basically click a button on a web browser and it would show all the nearby Pokemon and all the stops and everything. Yeah. Uh, there, so was a, there was a couple. 
was just gonna say there's a couple super annoying things that in hindsight like you know you, you think oh i should have known this but there's easy stuff that like flew right over my head the fact that proto buff was a thing i had no idea i had never in all this time run across proto buff before so, so just learning about that proto buff kind of reminds me of like um apache uh thrift maybe i think it's called i don't know there's some uh patchy thing that's similar but uh, did you guys end up having to write tooling in order like to, you said the burp didn't um decode it properly like did you like how did you sort of overcome yeah. that so we actually had yeah. uh um i'm a uh, man in the middle proxy mitm proxy set up on uh i think at first it was just of a specific port and then ips that we allowed but we would uh, send our phones and devices through the server <laughs> um in a really pretty insecure way but it was it was for testing right so safety third but so, uh, eventually <laughs> eventually it was a vpn and it would it would be parsed and looked at through mitm proxy so one guy I, I know, uh, he did a he he realized that the values for the items he held were um or at least the what what's the scent thing that it attracts Pokemon? What was that double something? It was double encoded hierarchy. What was it? Uh, I don't know. It was and some some it? like scent thing that you put that you that you use and that you buy it with money or whatever. Um, like anyway, he figured out that that uh, particular item at least was stored uh, locally. Um, and then he just went off and uh, just said that he like locked that value, said that he had a one all the time, put a whole bunch down in one of the Australian cities, and you know attracted millions of Pokemon just by that one little bug. That's pretty crazy. What was the uh, RQ? What was the thing? It was double what? Um, I'm not sure. Uh... There's this yeah. standard that they're using for latitude and longitude. That oh yeah, so it I was um, yeah. So for the uh, coordinates for your location, it was storing everything as a double. But if you just uh, decode the um, protobuf, you just basically see the hexadecimal representation because it has one field type for 64-bit value. And so a double is 64 bits, but so is a 64-bit integer. So you just see the hex representation. Um, and so uh, we were kind of confused about that a little for a little bit. Uh, and then I realized that it was just a normal uh, IEEE 754 double floating point number. So yeah. So he's saying that really nonchalant, like, of but course. seriously. <laughs> If he hadn't have found out and figured out, oh, that's that looks like this. Let's try this. Like if he had never have figured that out and said that, that us held back because we weren't figuring it out, none of us. And there was a good on it, like over over ten. Um, and uh, yeah, dude, like just that one thing, noticing it is super important. So I guess I would say in general, uh, work on projects and do stuff that you might not feel comfortable doing because your your contributions matter. Everybody's contributions matter. Yeah, you bang your head against the wall until it cracks, right? 
Yeah, for real. And we did. We did until until the double binary encoded in hex came up and then we're like, oh shit, that's those are coordinates. We got it. And it kind of they unraveled from that really quick. It's interesting. Like, so I actually went about my Pokemon Go hacking in a little bit different way. I think I mentioned this during the SDR thing, but uh, yeah, I was emulating uh, GPS using uh, Osmocoms. Uh, it's a shame Pike's not here, but using the Osmocom uh, GPS uh, replacer, so you, you basically download a whole bunch of shit from a NASA public FTP. You feed it through some stuff that you can get from GitHub, and you use. Uh, you can do it with a HackRF, but you need like a, like a, an external clock, like an oscillator attached to it, so that's uh, accurate enough. But that will then allow you to spoof GPS. So that, that's sort of like a hard way of people who did it with like Nox emulator or whatever, you know. Kind of sort of like a tangent topic, but did anyone here kind of come out of like the RuneScape or RuneScape private server hacking scene? I'm just I'm just kind of curious. That's a thing. Yeah, yeah. So interesting. No, it's, it's I've really definitely seen it. Yeah, so like, go. Go ahead. with uh, with RuneScape private servers and like RuneScape, uh, RuneScape was like a, a pretty big deal for a long time. And what happened was like, uh, people ripped the source of RuneScape and they made like RuneScape private servers. So like, there was both uh, RuneScape hacking groups and like RuneScape private server hacking groups. And uh, it's kind of interesting because like, before I got into like web app stuff and you know general security stuff, I I I was always in like bug abuse and RuneScape hacking groups. And like, uh, I've met like some really cool people who like are super good at web app stuff. And like super good at like just general security stuff. Who came out of that scene because it felt so similar. So I'm kind of curious, like uh, if like game hacking is like a, a probably like a good way to uh, I don't know get get kids interested maybe in in security yeah. stuff. Yeah, things oh, like that. Oh, for sure. The point yeah. that I, I think that I wanted to make to all of this was that. Have you guys played uh, Ghost in the Shell Code, like the the CTF? No, no. what's that? Uh, so it's just this one of the CTFs that runs. Uh, it runs every year and. Uh, I, I think every year, I don't know, I'm not I'm not huge on the CTF scene, but I, I did play it, uh, I think, last year, um, and they actually had a Unity uh, MMO that was impossible to win. There was all these flags that were in this MMO, this Unity, and you had to, you know, speed hack, give yourself abilities. There was this, like, really convoluted, like, logic gate puzzle that, like, if you just sat there trying to, like, click on things, you'd probably, like, take a billion years to solve it. But if you took the logic gate and then, like, you know, revert, like, just took the code and then looked at it like you're like oh that's if i turn switches one seven fifteen twenty two and eight and then like blah 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 like down the chain you would you would get the next door open so that you could go through so it was a really cool way to um take this really shitty unity game like i think it might still be up it's called pony island and it was pony island three so maybe they've done it before but yeah it was all based around um game hacking stuff and it would be, being Unity, obviously, they made it uh, and uh, less uh, like abrasive way to get into that kind of thing as well. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I, I'd seen that, but uh, have you heard, have you seen Monty Monty Crypto? No, uh, I haven't. It was it was basically this game that was made, and like there's a one Bitcoin prize for figuring it out. I, I linked a write up in Topics Only, and uh, it, it it basically was like this uh, step by step challenge thing. Uh, let me just read the description. It's a E for crypto puzzle game yada 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 24 enigma puzzles and basically like you could go into the game and there were certain things like hidden behind walls that you had to hack the game to like get through so i guess it kind of reminded me of that uh but it's really cool definitely i think that i mean i've talked about this with a couple people and there's all people in the chat mentioning this about like you know game genie and game shark and stuff like that and 
um, I think you use it. Um, no. So you, need to, you need to push the talk sign, dude. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, yeah I'm going to turn it up. Um, yeah, but no, so one of the things that I, I think is, like, really important for people who are, you know, young is to be exposed to this kind of stuff. I mean, like, I, I used to play with GameShark, and I used to be obsessed with, like, Pokemon and, like, Missing No and, like, glitches and things like that. And so it was fun to me to find those kind of things and be able to, like, actually make them happen. And I would go and try to find those glitches on my own. You know, I'd play games and, and not really play them for the game aspect. I would just play them to, like, mess them up. And so I think that that sort of really put that into my head of, like, you know, everything that you're touching, all these, you know, devices, compu you know, computers, programs, whatever you know, there's going to be glitches somewhere. It's going to be a logical flaw somewhere. And to me, I, I didn't understand the the actual programming aspect of it when I was young. But when, you know, it gave me the, I guess, the ability to think in that way, which is really useful for people going on down the road. And I think a lot of people in here have definitely come through that same path of being able to discover that you can do more than what you are given and what you think you can do, and that you have to be clever enough to find it. And talk to people who are also trying to find the same sort of thing. Yeah, you know, was a, there's oh, a really interesting uh, there's a really interesting thing that actually got taken down. I haven't been able to find this on the internet. I haven't looked recently, but if anybody does know where this is, please link me. Uh, so when Guitar Hero came out, I was actually pretty into Guitar Hero. Like I could do the like, you know the, the hard songs on like the hardest difficulty in. Guitar Hero 2, I was doing like hyperspeed expert stuff, you know, and it wasn't that high, it's just a rhythm game, you know, it's no different to like a lot of other different stuff, but um, I played it a little bit too much, and I found that there was this guy who uh, you could do, you could take the image, you could dump your image of Guitar Hero, and you could replace any song with, I think it was a combination of an MP3 and a MIDI file, which was actually, the MIDI file was the different notes you played. And um, he had this tool that he'd written to do it. And all you had to do, like, you didn't even need a mod chip. You could literally just, like, boot the game, like, get the game booting. You put a spring in your, like, in your PS2, and then you, like, swap the discs, and then now you're playing custom songs. And basically, I was like, this blew my mind. I was like, holy shit, I can play, like, way harder stuff now, which in hindsight, I wish I never found. Um, Guitar Hero sucks, but... Um, this guy got so many requests of people just like hitting him up, like, how do I make this work? How do I do this? Blah, 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 blah. Like, and that he just took the project off the internet. And I, I don't know if he got a C and D or if he just got fed up with people, but yeah, he, uh, yeah, that was a thing for a little while. And then I, it just sort of disappeared and no one ever talked about it ever again. Yeah. I feel like that's a, a real big problem with people who do like game modification and that kind of stuff. Cause I know someone personally who uh, has done that sort of thing. And so that's the absolute worst part of it is um, the nonstop questions you get from every single person. It doesn't matter how well you document anything, they will still come and find you and badger you with the most like inane questions. I feel kind of bad for all those jailbreaking. Yeah, exactly. That was what I was going to talk. Actually, like, so yeah. a really good example of this is uh, Stefanessa, right? Like, ironic. I'm, I'm sure you guys oh, followed wow. his work, right? So, yeah, um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so he, um, so I, I was reading this thing, and um, he's tweeting about like PHP or something, right? Some other thing, 
and some dudes just responding like stop releasing jailbreaks for iphone you're like putting me out of business like every time you release a new <laughs> one publicly like you know it gets fixed and then i can't sell jailbreaks to people <laughs> it's like what the, do you even understand what this Hilarious. is <laughs> no and the answer is no they have no idea what the hell's going on they just know that what somebody the did a thing they don't get money anymore yeah, he's like he's illegally jailbreaking people's phones or whatever, like or whatever, using this technology. And then he's like blaming the developer or the researcher, I should say. He's blaming the researcher for like disclosing research to the to the vendor. It's like it's that's a really weird thing. They're fucking crazy. I think on Reddit is where they're the worst. I don't know for sure, but I just I've seen great guys that are like that have at some point released something publicly complain about the reddit community the most so i'm gonna assume yeah. those guys really suck they, they get fucking harassed on there man yeah i think um you know another interesting hack that i just just uh recall as well was the xbox 360 drive firmware hack did anybody see that oh, yeah. xbox 360 drive firmware hack what do you mean so the the light on Len Phillips drives. I think there's another one. Could there, there was Team Executor released a um, uh, a flasher that had a, uh, a SATA port, um, a power like thing because the power connector was different. And then um, you would plug it into USB and a particular type of SATA controller. And then it had a probe on it, so you could boot the drive half open, probe a, a test point on the board, and then that would allow you to dump the firmware. Once dumping the firmware, you could extract the um, extract the crypto keys, take the custom firmware, put your crypto key into the custom firmware, and then reflash it using a similar method. Um, like I think the program was called Jungle Flasher from memory. There was a team executed kit that did this, um, and so the hardware mod, uh, sorry, the software mod was was specifically targeting the firmware of the disk drive, and it allowed non like non original disks to be read um, and, and run but without actually modifying the OS. So a lot of people, like, that was a method to play, you know, stuff without um, getting banned from Xbox Live, basically. Um, I just, I don't know, I just thought that was a, a, another interesting vector to go for the, the drive itself. Yeah, do you know there were different drives, too, and some of them were better than others at reading the burn games? I mean, if you burn them, the same. Yeah. Uh, it was, I remember doing this. I remember uh, working at GameStop, actually, at the time, uh, this was happening and being able to just go and rip games, like take games off the shelf, use games. So you can just, you know, borrow games from the store or whatever. Um, well, I think that's why they generally that. now won't even let you fucking take it out of the store without saying it's yours for life. Like well, there's no, no return uh, policy on these. On, on use games, I think, I believe there's still a, like a pretty, like, uh, nice return policy i guess you'd say really where it's like I don't oh think yeah it's uh, anything anymore so what, were, what, so what were you doing with the games i mean but you can just rip the games um the blue layer using it was i wrote in here uh using creon dvd drive modified firmware so you just stick the game in your pc rip it uh and burn it and then just take it back the next day so I, I don't yeah. know shit about piracy, but I, I know that um, there was uh, there was a tool that would clean ISOs so that it would remove something from the ISO. I don't know exactly what um, that you would want to do before you like you played it. But I also know that um, any 
so so uh, my girlfriend used to be a game journalist for a little while, and um, she used to get early copies of games. And there was like this thing where like if you get an early copy of a game and you're playing it before it was released on, um, if you're playing it on the internet before uh, it was released, they would ban you based on thinking that you had like a, an, an ISO of it. So there was um, I can't remember how how they knew that like she shouldn't be banned but yeah i remember like there was a, a few games yeah. came out. you went on live i think yeah they do like big band sweeps yeah i remember what we yeah, used to do I for, think they have a for, for like 360 i remember uh like you know call of duty world at war specifically uh what you do to get like modded lobbies and all that was like and when you're installing the game so you can just play it like off the xbox and not off the disc you'd go to that prompt to install the game but you take apart the 360 and then right when you're installing the game, you'd swip, you'd like pull out the disc and switch it with a disc with like a modded ISO. So it would install the modded ISO to the uh, Xbox. Yeah, like you physically had to pull it out, right? The CD. Yeah. Because that's... It yeah. Didn't, yeah. That. There used to be a... Um, I think it was called XB Connect maybe. And it was kind of like an IRC type thing where it would create uh, Xbox Live... Uh, sorry, not Xbox Live. It would cre create land tunnels, um, like I guess similar to Hamachi or whatever, but for Xbox. So you'd run it on a PC on your network, and instead, of, and then you go to like land play, and whoever you were like lobbied with in the PC, you could play like Halo against. So people who couldn't either couldn't play Xbox Live, or I know in Australia Xbox Live at the start. That's, um, that's what they had to do with the three or the original Xbox afterwards. That's why they stopped supporting it. What people started doing so that they could still play their Halo and not, yeah. Know what you're talking about? Yeah. So I, I actually had to do it just because uh, Xbox Live and when Halo came out, online play was shit house. Like I was at 400 milliseconds playing with Americans. Like I had no, no I couldn't play. You know. So I. Yeah. So like I was like, oh, how do I play against this? And that's where I found that, and it, it was pretty cool. Like it's good I, to know I, that that's what people still do. Just slightly off topic for a second, but have they figured out the ping between? Like down under and and everywhere else, or are you guys still kind of fucked over? Uh, we're low two hundreds, high like high hundreds to the oh, U.S. Man, it's still pretty bad. Wow. Yeah, you, you like Crazy. depending where it is. Like if it's somewhere in like the middle of the states or something, it might be four hundred. Like it might suck. Yeah, no doubt. Wow. Okay. That was super important for me to ask for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> But um yeah, so like I guess that's that's the original Xbox. Um it was hacked pretty hard, but I think the Wii was the most hacked. Is that still the statistic that the Wii has been the most hacked console? Oh yeah. They it's it was broken from pretty much day one and then stayed broken. <laughs> Dreamcast was probably the easiest because there was really nothing to it other than copying uh, the disc. Yeah, you didn't even need to like hack it really. <laughs> <laughs> there was no hack, you just copied the disc. With what this juggler? Yeah. So how much? There's a few people mentioned in the Twitch chat, like Game Shark, uh, whatever. Like I definitely use like Game Genie and Game Shark and whatever on uh, like uh, Mega Drive and and shit like that. Um, did you did you guys ever like? I always had because I was a kid at the time. Like I always had books that I'd get that would have all the like make yourself supersonic or like whatever. Put this like number in that I didn't realize was like you know. A memory address that needed to be locked or whatever. Yeah. Um, did you guys actually work on on finding uh, your own game genie stuff? I did that much later. Sorry, there's a microwave going off in the background. 
Uh, I did that much later in the game, um, once I realized how it actually works. Um, but yeah, I've definitely worked on a bit of that with Game Boy specifically. I did a bit of that with a friend um, back in when I was in school, back in high school, um, but not anything too, too crazy. We actually yeah. uh, did that and we used to, <laughs> there's a sidebar, um, back before you could buy anything on Amazon, we had to open up a GameCube by like taking a lighter and melting pens and shoving the pens in the screw holes because uh, they use these weird like uh, game bit screws. Yeah, like, yeah. Y ones, Y shapes. Oh, the Y shape. Yeah. Or were they tri wings or are they game bits? Uh, I think tri wings. Uh, just like the like Phillips, but minus one. This yeah. is just like a Y tri-head, shape. Yeah. Tri wings. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and then we st- he wrote some crazy shit to allow him to, uh, you know, run Humbrew and all this stuff. Dumb Brahms. But that's, that stuff was, I mean, yeah. Like you're saying, as a kid, like, there's nothing, like, more rewarding, right? <laughs> than doing just that kind of shit. What was kind of the first one so i'm just looking at the show notes real quick uh like a like a good boy and uh i noticed uh it one of the topics was history of game hacking do do we go over that and what what was the first one does anybody remember i know that first first one what first um like actual commercial device to do this and they they received a bunch of lawsuits and, and threats and everything and they had to Basically, yeah, they mm-hmm. call it a game enhancer instead of a game cheating device. Um, on consoles, for sure, being but on computers, there's always the memory patching. I mean, true, true. Yeah, I mean, if you want to go back even further, that'd be like cracking soft, like you know, games and and things like that. People who were doing, I think, probably consoles, right? Like, because that's that's the one that really there was. Consoles have been around for a long time, but they were usually in arcades in these big boxes. And then Atari and Nintendo and Sega kind of came along. The quarter trick, then, like the fishing string. Quarter, quarter with the fishing string, oh, and probably the uh, first <laughs> major game hat. For real? Oh, wow, I forgot about that. That's crazy. Service and service mode, like if you can get underneath the cabinet, push that service mode button a lot on the arcades. Yeah, dude. I still, I still look for open arcades if I'm ever near one. Look for the door to be open or not locked properly. <laughs> so um, one of the things I've noticed nowadays is, uh, so I went to an arcade recently. Um, I went there sort of like, it's near a uh, near a cinema. We went to the cinema and uh, we walked out and I was like, oh shit, like that's right. There's this huge fucking arcade in this building. And we went there and these days it's all swipe cards. So uh, it's all Magstripe stuff, right? And I'm not talking like Magstripe credit card material. I'm talking like Magstripe 101. So you go up to a machine now, instead of having, instead of putting like, uh, I guess, 20 cents, 40 cents, now whatever it is, like four bucks into a machine, you um, you get a card and then you top it up with cash and you go around to each machine and, and you swipe it and it tells you your balance after you swipe. And what I noticed was that uh, with this system, there was the machine that was running the, the top-up stuff was uh it had an error pop up at one point because um i put my wrong the wrong pin in my in my um 
in for my credit card or whatever. And um, it it uh, popped up with a window a dialog box from Windows, and it was not a modern version of Windows at all. Like it was, the title bar was like not a gradient. So that's how old we're talking here. Um, so it, instantly, the first thing that came to my mind is like, well, why don't I just write a, uh, why don't I just write a card that is like a bunch of control characters to like press. You know, because basically the card reader is a hit interface, right? So why don't I just write a card that does that, and then I could probably get desktop, and that'd be pretty funny, but whatever. But obviously, I haven't done any of this. It's all just thinking about the thing. I've, I don't really have any interest in going to... Fiction. Yeah, it's just just, just uh, thinking about, like, right. that, that's really weird, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Th things that I could research if I had enough friggin' time. Um, but then the next thing I noticed was that, like, the way you swipe the card, the machine only has the power connected. So if the machine is only connected to the the power in the wall, you like, can make fake. You can make it? you can make fake digits. Yeah. So whereas is, is this? This is obviously radio. Um, like, if I had a porta pack with me, maybe I could look for it. But I don't have my porta pack assembled yet. But I mean, it would just be interesting to do a sort of an audit. Um, if there's anyone out there who runs arcades and would like an audit, I think we have a hire a hacker page on uh, thuggrab.com. We're getting that started up. Um, I'll tweet out more information actually in a little bit. What? I'm like breaking up again, but yeah, I was saying I can uh, tweet out more information about our hiring a hacker thing um, later on today or tomorrow. Yeah, so I think it would be interesting considering that uh, these technologies we're talking about, as far as I know, um, it's Magstripe. I'm going to go ahead and guess that the radio isn't, is, is something similar to those like buzzers that you get when your meal is ready at a restaurant. Um, or like, you know, even in cars, it's not really that, you know, the, the remote starts and shit aren't, aren't, you know, they got rolling codes, but that's about it. We're talking about an arcade that is arcade machines that is sort of, you know, this, this is a secondary thing to getting people to play the games. How secure is it? Pretty interesting. A lot of uh, older technologies all mashed together. Yeah, where, yeah where does it go? right. Like they all mashed together. And so it, it reminds me of last week's stuff. We were talking about SDR and we got into this just a little bit, but like there's definitely room to have long discussions on this type of stuff. We got to figure out some way to sanely have long conversations on it because there's a decent amount of really cool stuff that uh, is auditable and not like totally breaking the law. Some fun stuff yeah. out there. And I mean, I'm sure that the companies that are selling this stuff would be interested in people not stealing things because uh, if, like, if you look at an arcade, they still give away prizes. You can get the ticket. Remember getting the tickets and you go to the arcade and you can be like, oh, I want that, like, yeah, what's that Simpsons episode? What did you get? Oh, a mustache. What did you get? Mustache comb. Like, do you want to comb my mustache? Like, I <laughs> 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 um, mean, you can win, like, these days you can win, I think they had, like, iPhones TVs. and PlayStations, yeah. TVs. Uh, I used to, uh, I used to work down the boardwalk, so they used to have, uh, I think they used to have those prizes and, they all, the only reason they stock them is because the amount of money you put into the arcade to win one is like five times what it costs to buy one. Yeah, so I, at one point, somebody told me how much each ticket was worth. They said, each ticket's worth one cent. And so I, and I was pretty young. I was a little kid. I was like, can I just give you three bucks for that thing up on the fucking wall? And they let me. So I would just <laughs> buy stuff. 
with cash mm-hmm. and it was way more fun to just do it that way to me i don't know why it was easier <laughs> my favorite part was uh yeah, one yeah. day one of the employees like they they order all the shit out of like a catalog and one of the employees actually left the catalog in the desk and like nice. I, we were in the back like i was in the back and like my friend was like smoking a cigarette and we walk up and this like this kid he's like eight is sitting there just flipping through the catalog and he looks at us and he just rips the page out and just walks away because he was just gonna order the thing that he wanted yeah yeah i was like this kid's a genius because they they (laughs) order them for some like like the huge uh plush animals are like 10 bucks or something just gonna put it out there it would be less attention drawn to yourself if you just take your phone out and take a picture he was like eight uh, well no no i know <laughs> i'm just saying if anybody's planning on uh you know maybe doing that now for anything really any manuals or anything that's left out just take a picture don't actually take the fucking manual you don't need to these days dude i wanted this like huge teddy bear for this girl once like i was trying to impress when i was like really young and I was like, hey, like, like one year this teddy bear. And then she like turned me down. And I was like, yeah, well, fuck you too. <laughs> have any of you guys tried the neodymium, neodymium magnets on the claw machine? I have not. No, what can you do with that? Basically, you pull, put the magnet to glass and pull the claw over because of the magnet and then drag it down to your, to your animal. What? How big of a magnet you need? Just a pretty good strength neodymium, specifically neodymium. Like, is, are we talking like hard drive type magnets, or a little bigger? But yeah, same. So a bunch of hard drive magnets. <laughs> wow! All right, yeah, let's try it. Wow, that uh, security audit for an arcade sounds pretty nice. <laughs> yeah. Just, just dump all the stuffed toys <laughs> under the desk. I did an audit. <laughs> is there? I had two hundred and fifty <laughs> emoji stress balls, and. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So, you know, what's a really calling, funny one. Um, actually, Sega, I believe, got sued for um, making the Keymaster game way too hard. And I remember I was, I looked up the manual while I was in an arcade once to try to figure out if there was any way to switch it into like a maintenance mode or something so I could win the stupid iPad. And um, there's, they've, they've basically those machines specifically they can rig it up so that it'll never actually win so then they'll put like absurdly they'll put like a gucci handbag in there and you can never win yeah, it. Yeah, yeah i would i would line up so perfectly and i would watch it just go up like a millimeter as i was putting it in and i was testing it out i had like i spent literally a shameless a shameful amount of time on this machine where I win this thing and it had a crowd around me watching as I was lining it up with a uh, you know graph paper and stuff. So yeah, um but they those games are, are really, really easy to rig on a software level, which is pretty crazy. So well, um, easy to rig to against a... the player you mean or easy to rig rig against uh, the player to make it impossible to win. Yeah, I was gonna so say I, I, I wanna point for out the most part they're just by chance. I want to point out that um, when we're talking about gaming, let's not forget that um, gambling is also considered gaming. And one of the interesting things about gambling in Australia, specifically uh, Australia and Las Vegas, is slot machines. And the slot machine payouts are literally rigged. Like, you have to put in, they only have to pay out a certain percentage. Um, And there's a really good documentary on Netflix, I think, or maybe um, SBS On Demand, which is... uh, 
Uh, it's sort of affiliated with Vice. You should be able to watch it about um, slot machines, and, and that's uh, pretty good. Um, What's it called? Oh, man, you know what? I really wish I could remember, but I actually saw it on normal people television, and um, it's really <laughs> rare, so I forget. What the hell is that? Ah, it's this like, thing with an antenna, and I don't know. It's There's something like, you do with SDRs. Is it called? <laughs> yeah. Is it, is it the big gamble? No. Uh, I honestly couldn't remember, but if anyone well, finds we'll... it, it's uh, it's interesting. From uh, yeah, either drop it in chat or we'll put it in the show notes at some point. That sounds like a cool documentary. That's why I'm like bugging you about it. Interesting. Uh, speaking of slot machines, did you guys read about the Russians coming over, like Russian organized crime uh, coming over and like reverse engineering a lot of the slot machines? Yeah, and yeah. they're they're doing a, a stream where they could predict it like with a tap. So basically, guys just with a cell phone and they're live streaming the patterns that are rolling through. And then once they see a predictable pattern, they tell them like you know push a button. And if they triple tap it at a certain point, they get a winning winning multi line or something like that. Those are on specific machines. Yeah, that's nuts, dude. Smart. Yeah. Actually, it's smart as fuck. It's... They're making money. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's real smart. Okay, I think it's, I found uh, it. I think it's called uh, Kaching, and it's uh, they actually interviewed developers that uh, design these games and what they they look for. It's it's pretty good. I'm gonna link it now. I don't know if it's uh, free to cool. view, but what the... well, either way. So, so that's the one what? about um, slot machines. But like, just going back to the one you were talking about before. Sorry, links. Just give me one second. Uh, those uh, pretty much. The, the same golden rule kind of stays true, right? If it's too good to be true, it is. So if you see a fucking $300 gift card, if you stack these things up uh, the right way, it's probably not winnable. Or if it is, it's winnable only in a certain uh, number of plays. Like, it's, it's intentionally, even if you actually do hit the thing when you're supposed to hit it, it won't win. And so there's literally no way to win those. Just don't waste your money on that bullshit. And slot machines? Slot machines? No, not that's a different story, but they have to have like certain amount of wins on slots. I'm talking about like those things where you they're like regular games that you stack stuff. Yeah, like fake skill games. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They try to lure people in by making it look like it's something you could do if you're a skilled player, but they got me. I totally thought it was this uh, thing that you could do by skill. So, but um, I, I happen to read, no, it's, it's the last it's a, the last one at the top is done by chance only. and It's a carny hustle. I, uh, my, yep. my parents go on cruises a lot uh, and they go out Norwegian and they have like uh, the casino on the, the, uh, the ship and right as you walk into the casino from like the general like ship area there's one of those games, and uh, I was talking to my dad, and he goes, he's like, my dad doesn't really gamble, but, like, my mom does, and he was like, yeah, like, I'll just sit there, and, like, all night, I'll watch people play this game, and just dump thousands and thousands of dollars trying to win an iPad, and it's just, like, you could just buy the iPad, but he's like, you'll see people get to the top, and, like, hit the button at the exact right moment, and it'll just, like, boop, run over, you know, win. Yeah, I think it's, it's part of the... Yeah, exactly. It's the 
it's not really about winning the iPad. And a lot of people like sort of drown their sorrows in the flashing lights and they're designed to psychologically, like psychologically stimulate you. Like that's the whole point. Not let you win money. Let's <laughs> win money. <laughs> they're not on a fly through mini mission. The greatest Halloween idea ever. What are the, you go, you go as one of those machines that works and you just yep. get money from people. <laughs> um, so uh, I just remembered as well. Like, uh, did any of you guys play the remake of uh, GoldenEye on uh, Wii? No, no, no. It it ruled. Okay, like being able to point at the screen and like headshot people in GoldenEye and run around is like it was really good. They also released it on 360. Nowhere near as good because of just the way that you could point at the screen. It was like really good reflex type shit. Um, and I got pretty good, I got pretty good with, like, a friend of mine, like, we used to play pretty often when it came out, and then we, after we'd been playing for a while, we are like, I wonder where we sort of sit on the leaderboards, and the leaderboards were, like, you know, the top 10,000 people were basically, like, shots fired, zero, kills a billion, like, accuracy, 10 trillion, like, yeah, like, hit, hit rate, like, you know. It sounds like every, uh, Xbox Live Arcade game leaderboard ever. Yeah. yeah, and if you look right back to Flash games, like, uh, I was talking about uh, this with someone the other day, they're, like, just uh, reading the Flash games high score as they post back to their server, like, that was super common, right? Mm-hmm. So where did you stand? You left me in suspense. Where did you stand in the leaderboard? Oh, underneath everybody who cheated. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, I had a pretty good hit rate. You know, my my stats weren't terrible, but you know, it's like I you can't compete with somebody who's never fired a shot and has a billion kills. True. True. Uh, what did we go over in terms of like earlier? Somebody wants to fill uh, me in. We talked a bit about the switch. We talked about Pokemon Go stuff, and we just generally talked about different, you know, cheats and and exploits in games over the years. Um, but I actually wanted your input if you had any on on anything that you've seen lately, because I know that you do QA for games and you are a streamer and do speedruns um, and stuff. So, in terms of game hacking, uh, I I have a funny story without go, naming any names. Uh, has anybody here heard about at E three? Was it two, three years ago when they announced Zelda? Game. Uh, there was uh, there was all these rumors going about about somebody gonna steal the demo, gonna steal the demo. Um, well, the rumors were true. Uh, I'm not gonna obviously say who it was, but I I know who it was, and we were I was talking to them as it was going on, and uh, essentially the process of that that happened uh, was. All of the dev units for the Wii U, because that's what they're showing it on, uh, have a way to get out of whatever demo you're in. And the dev- the all of the dev units are also susceptible to all of the early exploits because they're not really updated that well. So they got out of the demo, uh, went to a homebrew site to load up the homebrew channel, got an SD card into it, and then were remotely transferring the files off of the Wii U but because the internet was so bad there, it was taking forever. So they ended up having to cut it halfway through, so they didn't get the actual whole game. 
<laughs> pretty wild. Yeah, it was. It was a. There were there were a lot of uh, messages like, "Oh shit, they're looking at me. I think I'm gonna get caught, guys." <laughs> so, uh, Link, uh, you, you do speed runs as well, right? Yes. So in your in your speedruns, do you often find like glitches? Like I know on like the I think it's the first or second well that would be the second level of uh, Mario on SNES. You can uh, run and jump through the wall just above the end pipe to get to the secret pipes. Like yeah. is that something that you kind of I know that's a really well known one, but is that something that is that what you look for when you're doing speedruns? Um. So with speedrunning, it's a it's a very interesting thing. There's a lot of people in the community. There are people that specifically look for stuff like that. And uh, I'm gonna throw some names out here. Uh, like there are a lot of people in our community, like a guy named Sockfolder, who uh, he did, for doing Ocarina of Time stuff. He we needed like people needed setups to do these tricks so it was consistent every time. So like oh you can jump through this wall, but the the angle you can jump through the wall is very precise. So you have to set up to do that. So he wrote a bot that would play an emulator and get inputs that would set you up for this. He also I think he did a lot of disassembly with the game. He he disassembled uh Symphony of the Night, found an arbitrary code execution. Which he then used to beat the game faster than it was obviously intended because you just warp straight to the end. Uh, a lot of that kind of stuff uh, with like like code execution and whatnot. Uh, I think most of it's found through like overflows and underflows, uh, or people who task the game, which they use an emulator frame by frame look for little tiny things like oh if I hit this input and then this input on the next frame something weird will happen uh when i'm doing speedruns and i'm like glitch hunting in a game uh usually what i'm looking for is like out of bounds type deals so i'm looking for okay there's a corner here can i either speed myself up enough to push myself through this wall is there an object i can use to push myself through this wall or can i just kind of angle myself and walk through this tiny gap because the game's uh collision detection is terrible that's uh, interesting. Like it, it reminds me of a couple of things. One of them being uh, in Quake. I, I used to play a lot of Quake Team Fortress, and um, and it, even in Deathmatch though, like it was all about rocket jumping and bunny hopping, and the bunny hopping was all about if you uh, turn and strafe at the same time, you, you increase speed faster than moving forward. So if you turn strafe, uh, turn and strafe at the same time while holding the jump button, when you land, you just consistently increase speed. Yes. And basically, the whole game got to the point where if you couldn't bunny hop, rocket jump, and then grenade jump up to the flag, get the flag, rocket jump out the door, and get all the way back out again, you were basically useless at the game. That and, uh, um, I was going to yeah. say, the, the reason that all of that bunny hopping stuff worked is because they never set, they set a maximum for your forward momentum, but they never set a maximum for your sideways momentum. Right, which is pretty cool because um, I think like if you then take uh, Valve's stance, that's, that was ID's stance was to keep it in, but Valve's stance was to remove it from Half Life and from uh, and from Counter Strike, which would which would have made for totally different games. Well, it wasn't Counter Strike One, I think. It wasn't in Counter Strike Two, or in CS:GO. I mean, no, in One Point Six, they got rid of it. Did they? No, they they got rid of the actual bunny. That specific type of bunny hopping was removed in like Beta O Point Three. Which is when you had orbs that had like you could have a railgun orb jumping off a ladder 
while crouching yeah. kind of thing, you know. Okay. But yeah, the, yeah. They, there were still methods of bunny hopping and uh, what was it called? Like knife surfing where you surf <laughs> curves? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like they, they kept that stuff in, but the actual like Quake style bunny hopping turned into something different. And again, with Quake, th Quake 2 and Quake 3, the bunny hopping in that was totally different again. There was like uh, Quake 3 had like wall riding with the plasma, uh, the plasma rifle. Yeah. What are some ways that you guys piss off gamers? Zodiac. <laughs> uh, just team killing. That's like go to, right? Oh, same flash. So fun. Uh, oh yeah, that that's a good write up, Shell. Yeah. Who, who, wrote, who did that write up? Uh, Seth Boing. Oh yeah, he's a he's an interesting character. Met him a couple times. Uh, something else I wanted to bring up about like the speedrunning scene in general. Most of that is uh, a lot of games with cutscenes. A lot of the speedrunning scene is literally just like, all right, I don't want to watch this like four minute cutscene. What can I do to not watch it? So like, yeah, you're looking for looking for how to get around the trigger, how to die in the cutscene or something. A lot of the uh, cutscenes in Ocarina of Time, if you die during the cutscene. Uh, you respawn where the cutscene starts, but it just doesn't play again because it only flagged the play once. Um, there was an interesting talk. Uh, I think I can't remember who. I might have been. Uh, I can't remember who did it. There was uh, a, a Lua script that was for an emulator uh, released, I guess, earlier this year. I think it was for Metroid. And basically, like you could just leave it running until it did like a perfect run on Metroid, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, I paste binned it. The AI yeah. stuff? Yeah, like, the AI stuff. They did it with uh, Super Mario World. It was called uh, M-A-R-I slash O. So, Damn, that's, that's Mario. sweet. Yeah, and uh, it, it was a... Uh, what the hell is it? It was like a learning script, so it would do something and it would die. And it'd be like, okay, so if I do these inputs... Yeah, there. RQ. RQU just posted it. Uh... I don't think Seth Bling made it though. He definitely did a lot of. He definitely read it. Did he make it? I believe he did. I don't remember. I, I I've been following stuff like that. The Super Mario World is a game where a lot of crazy shit happens because uh they have like very uh they have a lot of control of the game because there's a lot of code execution that you can just perform. Uh, it's also the same with. Uh, Pokemon, like the Pokemon Red and Blue. Uh, oh, yeah. So execution of that pretty fast. Uh, there's a guy by the name of uh, Duengo AC who has partnered with uh, past videos and he has he's done a lot of these tasks which are like tool assisted. They're the perfect run if you could hit a button every frame if you wanted to uh, on console. And a lot of them take over the console. Uh, I know at AGDQ, it was two years ago, three years ago, they built uh, Snake and Pong into Mario, uh, Super Mario World. So Yeah, I saw something similar with uh, like Red and Blue, and all of the instructions were entered using up, down, left, right, start, select, AB. Yeah. Uh, that, that was crazy. With with a lot of the super super Nintendo stuff, they use the multi tap because it's you can put a lot more data in because you're putting it in with four controllers. 
as opposed to just one. Oh yeah, the multi-tap, that was elite. Uh, but yeah, there's a, a couple games that have code execution. Um, a couple games have so, it kind of contained. What's up? I think what's an interesting hack as well that um, is not really considered a hack, it's used as, as a technique, is in Street Fighter, uh, I guess it's Street Fighter 2 versions where uh, Ken's uh, Shoryuken is missing a frame compared to Ryu's or whatever, so you can use it to like dodge fireballs and shit by timing that, like you time that move and the fireball will pass through you because there's like a frame missing from that. Yeah. And that's like considered like everybody, like, apparently, I don't really follow the fighting game scene, but apparently that's like a totally legit technique. But in reality, if you, you break it down, it's like, oh, there's a frame missing. Like, how does this actually work? Yeah, it, uh, there's a lot of stuff like that in fighting games. Uh, and I'm trying to think what else. Besides, well, mostly fighting games. They they do a lot of frame data stuff. And uh, there's something recently with the new Smash Brothers. Uh, because it's a technically it's a 3D game, uh, sometimes characters enter the Z-axis. Uh, and like they'll go down and like go back and rewatch pods of tournaments and you'll be like why did this guy just not get hit by this move and like they'll go and look at it and the move he did moved him on the z-axis at just like the right amount of frames that that attack came in and it just doesn't hit him because he's not there so wasn't there a recent speaking of smash brothers wasn't there a recent bug where uh your your three-letter name or whatever could be that was there was an overflow in it, maybe something in melee. I, I'm think. not sure which version. If it's the one for the GameCube, they used uh, a guy by the name of Dan Salvato uses that uh, like an overflow issue with the name system to load in a custom ROM, like it's like a mod pack for melee on hardware. Using the, uh, I don't exactly know how it works because it's like way too advanced for me. Uh, but he, it uses that to load in a 20xx mod pack, which gives you a lot more options and things that the community has kind of made. And it lets you like see L cancels or count stuff, like it counts certain things, or it'll let you like pause the game and go frame by frame and stuff like that. Uh, but it's all injected into the game through the overflow in the names. So, like, it loads that's, it off the memory card. Yeah, that's pretty sweet. So, it reminds me as well, like, so this is a kind of point where, um, where uh, hacks beneficial for the community and where are they not? And I think um, where an, an example that's not a hack that proved to be, like, hilariously terrible was in, uh, like, Neverwinter Nights, and I think Neverwinter Nights 2, where if you if you were the DM of your own thingy, uh, of your own um, campaign, you could create certain sets of armor. Now, you just go into the thing, you make a set of armor, you give it, like, every possible bullshit stat that you can, and stack them all against each other, and then you could take that armor and join other people's campaigns. Um <laughs> And I think that's like kind of the point where it's like it's good that the people in that in that Smash Brothers community are adding positive things, but how hard would it be to add a negative thing? Like, and it, and I guess the question from that is like, does everybody need to have this installed to play the game, or can it just be like one player has it and they just like dominate? Well, with with melee, there is no net play, uh, essentially. 
Like, well, there is on like the emulators, but like with the console, you can't play other people online. So if right. the console has it, then everybody has it who's playing on that console. Uh, at, at this point, it's pretty easy. Like he offers it online, and you can just download it. And if you have a Wii, you can just load it onto a memory card. But currently in the Smash Brothers scene, they're using a pat like air quotes patch uh that enables this thing called UCF. Uh and there's certain movements in the game that are inherently like you should be able to do them, but there's like a limitation in the code and they've patched that so that way it makes it so that like everybody can do that because there's a lot of factors in Smash, including your controller. Uh there are some controller like firmwares that are just like weird and won't let you do certain things depending on like how you use your it's there's like there's a whole bunch of write-ups on smashboards about this they've gone yeah. into like exorbitant exorbitant amounts of detail and it's insane a lot of it's it fun. is like what frame like if you're doing a like a very quick motion from one side like going from say from all the way left to all the way right it's kind of comes out to be luck depending on what frame the game reads your input. So if, you know, or like, because if you're in the middle of a frame, right, and you move, and if it catches it in the middle of the stick rather than just on the left side and then on the right side, the next frame, uh, since you can't, you know, obviously tell when it's going to read every frame, if it catches it in the middle, you get a much different input than if it goes from, you know, left to right, rather, it sees it as left center right that's interesting um it just reminds me of uh just just being on the topic of using frames as like the you know the tick for um for the for the game like the the main loop i guess um the there was i did see a guy who had modded star fox not star fox uh uh lila was whatever um from snes and and he his hack was to increase the frame rate of the game by replacing uh, the oscillator on the actual cartridge. And mm -hmm. um, all it really did was speed up like the, the gameplay by like however many percent. And he, he messed around with a few different oscillators until he got it like a combination of like stable and faster. So while it did increase the frame rate technically, it was really just increasing the whole speed of the game. But I, I thought that was interesting. That's like a combo hardware hack, game hack. There are uh, there's a couple I forget what games are it. There's a, f a few PC games that are uh, frame locked at like 60 FPS, and a lot of PC gamers obviously are just like, well, I want 144. My computer can handle it. Uh, but the thing is, the whoever made these games decided to use the frames as the tick rate. So when you run the game at 144, it runs at like basically double speed. That's like the whole first era of DOS game. Yeah, it, yeah. There's, there's there's a like a couple current gen games that are like that. I just mean like if you were to play like some of those games now, they weren't like locked to frame rates, so they'd be playing way faster than they should be playing, you know? Yeah. So uh, do you guys remember in World of Warcraft early, there was uh, a big problem with uh, item duping? There was also Diablo that ruined Diablo. Yeah, Diablo I, yeah. almost especially like that. I, I it's funny you bring up World of Warcraft. Uh, one of the original 
hacking groups of World of Warcraft. It was called the Nagaholics. I don't know if any of you remember them. We played WoW back in vanilla. But they were the guys who were like, would would uh, go to GM Island and they would like, they take videos of like what GM Island is like before people knew what it was, like the Emerald Dream and stuff that was like being worked on. And the way they did it was uh, back in the day, uh, Blizzard was very dumb, and they kept the like coordinates of the zeppelins and boats client side, so they didn't have to store them on their servers. Well, they found that out, and they just edited them so that way, like, hey, instead of taking me to this coordinate, why don't you just take me here instead? Damn. So they could go <laughs> anywhere. Uh, it came a point where the GMs were banning people from being on GM Island. Well, if you were a priest, you could uh, mind control people. And when you mind-controlled somebody, it would read off of your client. So they would be on a boat or a zeppelin, mind-control somebody, and then jump them off uh, as they got to the destination, and it would put them at GM Island. So they were griefing people like that, getting their accounts banned. And people That's were nice. going, I don't know how this happened. They were also doing model editing, which the models that loaded were all client-side, so you could edit like anything to be anything, so they would... uh. They would edit, uh, like, the fires. Doodads. Yeah, little doodads and stuff to staircases and just, like, get up to areas you weren't supposed to. Yeah, I remember uh, those. I, I was at, um, I don't know, someplace in the, near the crossroads or some dungeon. I, I, I didn't play much well at Vanilla, but I did play it, like, when it came out. And I remember seeing hordes like just groups not not actual horde but like just groups and groups of people um constantly entering and exiting uh instances and i was like what the fuck like they just go in and go out like like lots of people are standing there like and i was just didn't understand what was going on what they're actually doing was they were like like banking an item that was of high value that they could sell then entering and exiting the like as many of them as they could to basically cause the instance server to crash. So denial of servicing um, the the instance, and then it would like reset their character back to right just before they went to the bank, and they'd end up like duping items that way. And I, thought, I thought that was pretty interesting. The the last thing that I'll bring up about the uh, the Nagaholics was. Uh... Well, I have two things. One, they uh, they started a project. It was called Project. Uh, I think it was like Project Pangea. Was there or Pan Pandia? Uh, they a bunch of the guys in the community were like super in the Warcraft lore. They're like, why aren't Pandarians in this game? So they they went in and they like mapped out a whole. They had like they started a private server. They mapped out a whole area of like uh, Pandaria, which ended up being a new expansion. And from what I've heard, a lot of the stuff was actually taken from what they made. Uh, but they mapped out this whole area, built the whole world and all that, added in NPCs. Uh, and then also, back when Wrath of Lichkin King came out, uh, a bunch of the old leaders of that group uh, ended up packet-swapping their way into the... like blizzard friends and family alpha of wrath of the lich king so they were running around like just playing with all of the devs and all that stuff and like at that time like as as blizzard they wouldn't expect anybody to be able to get in that wasn't invited so 
everybody was just like you know they'd talk about work stuff they were getting like information about other games through conversations they had with people i would say as well like uh a thing to note is there was a talk at defcon about um i think it was the glider something to do with gliding in world of warcraft and a bunch of guys that wrote that uh one of them i think did jail time one of them got screwed on uh by the irs or whatever but they, they talk about uh, the tech game, like they, they really go into depth in um, hacking World of Warcraft, what they learned, how they did it, and then how they eventually got caught and, and fucked by Blizzard, basically. Yeah, Glider was a, like a botting like, program that they yeah. got, uh, yeah, got shut down and then sued by, uh, by Blizzard. Yeah, the jail time was, was pretty real. Yeah, let me. Uh, I'll link it. I think I think the only reason that they never went after the the Nagahawks guys is because they never actually like made any money off of it. They yeah. just all like they just did it like for the lulls, I guess. Back in the day, as cringy as that is, they would do it just to be like, "Hey, look! Like we found this stuff." Like they would get do it for, like fame and like. Well, like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they just had a different way of playing the game than everyone else did, right? <laughs> I, I mean, the griefing was pretty <laughs> brutal, but it was still, at the time, pretty funny. Hey, it's, uh, it's always funny. kind of late, y'all. Um, I think we should probably sign out just so we don't have, um, don't take up too much more time for people who might be trying to go to bed now, too, like me. Um, does anybody have any final words on this stuff? Because I know this is another big topic. We can have more specific discussions about it or share resources and whatever we want to. But does anybody have any final words? Let's sing a song. Uh, I just want, if if anybody's read the Street Fighter 2 manual, I want you all to remember a very, very inspirational line. Then Geef wrestles bears for fun. So I think if you if you want to like do this sort of game hacking stuff and it seems like a really big steep challenge, then go wrestle a bear for fun until you beat him. Very true. Amen. So yeah, we'll have all of the links that we've shared um, in our show notes, which I'll tweet out um, probably tomorrow morning. And not all of them. I will be there. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm gonna just basically go through everything that we have and um, anything that we might have been fuzzy on to. We'll try to grab um, some links on that too. But yeah, if anybody has anything, any game hacks, anything you want to discuss even further, you can tweet us at Thug Crowd. Um, and we'll be back next week on Tuesday, um, 9:30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Actually, it's East, it's EDT, I believe, now because we're in daylight savings time. But yeah, so we'll be back. Same time next week. Um, Aren't we not David Daylight Savings Time? Because we no died. idea. I don't know. I'm gonna be completely wrong. <laughs> the Eastern the Eastern Time Zone that everybody but like Florida or something observes or Louisiana. <laughs> I don't remember. Um. Anyways, bye everybody. Yeah. Bye. Thanks for listening. <laughs> we'll, uh, see you tomorrow. Shut the fuck up and get a lawyer. Yeah. Also, if you're going yes. to game hacking, to Nintendo or uh, any um, bigger companies. Definitely get a lawyer, because that's what I'm after you. Don't sell stuff. All right.